0: Bring yourself back online. Remember.
1: Welcome back to Freeze All Motor Functions, a Westworld podcast that doesn't sound like anything to me and doesn't take itself too seriously. Presented by Bolin Media, we are here today to break down and digest season four, episode five of HBO's Westworld. I am your host, Jared Borislow, known to many as J-Bone. Joined as always by Teddy Mudd himself, Mr. Ross Boland. How's it going, Ross? J-Bone.
2: I'm 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 excited. I'm, I have a lot of things to say, just like last week. Lots
1: to say. Are you gonna are you gonna like make a repeat of your insane performance from the last episode? I might derail even harder. Oh my this god. Week. Yeah. And I'm also joined by the woman who read the whole dictionary front to back because she forgot which page Ziziva was on. Serena. Serena, how's it going?
0: I am um, questioning the nature of my own reality today.
1: Mm, that's good that, that's very it's very on brand and I, I, I want to note many many commenters on YouTube have said Serena, speak up more and cut us off So you have full carte blanche to stop us we will stop mid-sentence for you today.
0: Okay, I'll keep that in mind if I have anything really pressing to interject with
1: okay. Now, for those of you
2: listening who are unaware, Serena is the only person not present in the room. She is here in the form of a, a Zoom call, right? So uh, that is the reason that she, I think, is maybe a little bit more hesitant to speak up sometimes if you feel that way. Don't judge her. It's not her fault. We're using the power of technology to bring you a show about the power of technology. <laughs> exactly.
1: Serena's all the way across the country.
2: That's magic. Yes. That is,
1: honestly, that is magic. I, I don't know how it works. I know it's a series of tubes. We have that merged, one Senator.
2: We've merged California and Texas to bring you the greatest Westworld podcast available to man.
1: Let's be honest. Austin, Texas is already a merging of California That's and Texas. true. So it's really on brand for us. Let's jump right yeah. in to breaking down this episode of Westworld. The title of Westworld Season 4, Episode 5, and I'm going to try to say this right, is Dwangza. No, it's it's Zhangzi. It might be. I, uh, there's, there's definitely silent letters in there. Yeah. I just don't know which ones they are. I think it's Zhuangzi. I watched a couple of YouTube videos, and that's the best I got. There is a Formula One driver named Guan Yu Zhou, or Joe Guan Yu. So I'm getting the Joe from there. Zhuangzi. If, if you speak Chinese, please let us know if we got that wrong. Is it Chinese? Yes. Okay. According to my friend Will Capadia, who always helps us out, great guy, Zhuang Zhou commonly known as Zhuangzi, which translates to Master Zhuang, was an influential Chinese philosopher who lived around the 4th century BC. He is credited with writing, in part or in whole, a work known by his name, the Zhuangzi, which is one of the two foundational texts of Taoism, along with the Tao Te Ching. Now, if he didn't write it in full, why is it named after him? That's the first note I have. Sounds like a Shakespeare situation. Yeah, ghostwriters?
0: I fully believe Shakespeare wrote all his work, but
1: oh, we got a Shakespeare truther over here. I learned yeah. in a Family Guy episode
2: that it was a bunch of monkeys on typewriters. It was because if you stick them in a room long enough, they will
1: write the entire works of Shakespeare. And then they were cre- <laughs> Shakespeare took the credit from the monkeys. Do they? How many? How many monkeys do you think were in England in uh, 1300? I don't know when the fuck Shakespeare was around. That's probably 2000, wrong. 2,000. 2,347 monkeys. <laughs> you researched? I that? looked it up. <laughs> What are their names? Each one. That's a, That would take the rest of the show, Jared. Uh, but do you, I do have them written down. Okay. <laughs> show me your list later. So, the Zhuangzi consists of a large collection of anecdotes, allegories, parables, and fables, which are often humorous or irreverent. Its main themes are of spontaneity in action and of freedom from the human world and its conventions. We're certainly free from the human world this episode as we learn all about the fake human world that Sharloris has created. You guys have any other thoughts on the connection there with the title? I don't know much about Taoism.
0: I just noticed that when I talked to your friend, Wikipedia he told me that it was written during the Warring Period, which I thought was interesting because this is also a Warring Period. And I that was the main illusion I drew. I, I didn't dive into the themes as deeply as you did.
2: Do they spend, like... What, you know, a few days writing each episode and then two and a half weeks coming up with the depth in the title? Like, they, they usually have a title that is, I mean, if you didn't use Wikipedia, if you didn't know him personally, if you weren't fortunate enough like we are.
1: He's going to stand up at my wedding. Then you'd just be clueless every week. You'd have no idea, you know? Well, that's why this podcast exists, okay? Just to unravel
2: the mystery of the titles. Yeah. A
0: fun fact about titles of episodes is that a long, uh, a lot of the times they actually go unnamed during a lot of the writing process, and then, or they'll either get named later or their names will change as the themes of the episode are developing, which oh. I didn't know until I was inside.
1: This is why we have a TV insider here. If you don't know this, Serena works in the TV industry. That's how you get the inside information.
0: I'm inside it, yeah. you.
1: But um, but bum. As far as the episode description goes, it is quote, "God is bored." Mm. And it's literally a quote from Charloris during the very humorous human training scene, which she uses as a segue into her monologue about gods possibly interacting with their subjects, not to test them like the humans think, but just because they're bored. And Charloris, as we find out, is bored. But she also apparently hates the human theme park that she's created. This was a revelation to me. I assume Charloris loved her creation and it was like her life's work. Yeah, this is obviously—the episode drew a lot of really,
2: really cool um, religious parallels, parallels, right? Where uh, you—it was a surprise to find out that Charlotte Hale despises the situation she's created. She's already sick of it. The amount of work that went into this, as the man in black uh, eloquently puts it at the beginning of the episode, just for her to be bored already— is is kind of shocking but it's also I mean it's just a very dark look at what uh, what some people see as as our world's relationship with a god right so that was definitely it was deep the human chair was hilarious yeah apparently they've been chair. trying to, they've been trying to pull off the human chair or they were trying to do it as a uh, a host chair actually in season one and then apparently Lisa joy has been adamant about turning people into a chair at some point, and she finally pulled that off here in
1: season C4. Pee Wee Herman was miles ahead of his time with cha- with Cherry. Wasn't his name Cherry the chair? This reminded me of fraternity hazing. Yeah. It was very similar. Serena, any thoughts? On which part? On Charlotte's yeah. hatred of the human theme park.
0: I, so I wondered, and maybe you guys have takes on this. Do we think she hates it because it reminds her of her own imprisonment? Or does she hate it because of this thing she said later where it was supposed to be a stopgap and now we can't wean them off of it? And that irritates her because it's a hindrance to her desired progress.
2: I think it's both of those things, right? It's, a com- it's like it's, it's the worst of both worlds there for her because it is a reminder of the prison that she was created in. And also to have accomplished what she has and still be unfulfilled in it has to be an absolutely terrible feeling. Plus, she's extremely disappointed in her kind, the other gods, as she would probably describe them, uh, such as the man in black that she created, because of their lack of progress, their inability to go from what she gave them to the next step, which is also a thing that you could imagine if you were God looking down at this planet, you would feel Right, as we just make it worse and worse, yeah. day by day by day, as the humans do. So, that was all very just. It was just interesting to think about things from that angle of like uh, how a creator would go on to despise their own creation. That's a very common theme throughout literature and history and and movies and TV shows as well. Just not really something we would broached in Westworld, and and now we have, and it's it's getting darker for sure. Oh yeah.
0: I also thought it was interesting that so she's kind of like she's old in comparison to some of these other hosts robot prototypes that are out there and so she has this well she has a design first of all and then she has some kind of wisdom but I thought it was really interesting when this host that freaked the fuck out they mentioned that she was two years old and it's like it it was just kind of a funny parallel where, where it's like okay when humans are like children and teenagers and like getting into young adulthood, what do we do? Like we fuck around, we figure stuff out, like maybe try experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And she does this comparison where this human theme park she's created is like a drug to them. And it's interesting because she has all these younger host prototypes that are addicted to like playing in it. And she's this older one where she's like, I'm fucking sick of it all. And I don't know if it was an intentional nuance, but I found it amusing.
1: Yeah, that was, the, the, I will talk more about what Charloris. Would rather have the host be doing here in a second, but I, I was very shocked to, for her to say, "I am bored. I do not like it. This I I do not like to spend any more time in this place than I have to." And it hasn't gone the way she wanted it to. Yes. Yeah. So we're back to having cold opens again, which are we just taken one episode off. Like okay, whatever. <laughs> that was weird. And this cold open was wild. Um, I, I'll say up front, this is one of my favorite ever episodes of Westworld. Probably my favorite of, I mean, definitely my favorite of the last two seasons, but that's pretty much just saying my favorite of this season. And maybe, maybe it beats season two, although there were some great ones in season two. So, but I love this episode. Thought it was great. It gave us the, the cold open gave us a window into what it's like in Charloris's human theme park where there are no rules except be respectful, which to me kind of seems like a rule. That's like putting out a candy bowl for Halloween that says, take as much as you want, and then getting mad when some jackass kid takes a bunch of candy.
2: It was a little weird. This this whole, there are no rules, but also there are no rules to how I can enforce the lack of rules, was just a whole... That, yeah. It wasn't my favorite concept in the whole episode, but it, I, I see what they were trying to chip away at there, that concept of free will. And as the man in black says to Charlotte Hale at some point in this episode, why the hell did you make us free... Give us free will Why wouldn't you just force us to do what you want And she as she puts it That's exactly what they would have done And there'd be no joy in that for her either It's only A success if they choose What she wants Them to choose which is clearly not happening And it's almost like the man in black Can't even wrap
1: his head around that So it doesn't seem like they're close To making the jump right It's like Outback Steakhouse right They say no rules just right Foster's Australian for beer, but if you want to whip your penis out in Outback Steakhouse, they'll kick you out. Suddenly, they're all upset. Yeah. It's messed up. It's not my fault the Bloomin' Onion's looking hot. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) My interpretation of the cold open, and correct me if you disagree, is that host Man in Black and Clementine are in the human theme park and go to check on a host named Hope who went on a human killing spree in search of a human outlier, but who then went overboard herself. Now, this is concerning to Host Man in Black and Clementine because they see themselves kind of as like protectors of the park. And and do you think they believe Charlorus is becoming so obsessed with hunting human outliers by making it a game for hosts that it's causing more outliers this time in the form of host outliers? Or do you think that they're just like, what's going on here? Serena, I'll okay. let you tackle that first.
0: I think that was a big question I was left with in the episode because... And I don't want to get too deep into Christina's storyline, but we have an example here of a host that was like not sentient as to the fact that she was a host kind of thing. And it made me wonder how common that is. And there's I have a lot of lingering questions about hosts and humans, and I don't have any answers yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, The reason why it confused me is because Clementine's like our are pretty much like our boss is getting too obsessed with her game. Right. So it's and, and later on, we find out what the game is. It's sending the hosts out to tackle the outliers. But it turns out that what that's doing is actually causing more outliers in the form of the hosts becoming outliers because they interact with a human outlier. Yeah, there was some confusion around,
2: obviously, just as there has been the first three seasons of the show, who is human, who is host, what is the difference? And it's becoming... Confusing because we're familiar With some of these hosts We obviously know the man in black We obviously know Clementine We're aware of what their situations are And we've been dealing with them for a while But this new chick What was her name? Joy? Hope Hope Similar Eh, Whatever Uh, She We didn't really know what was going on there When we were first introduced to her Now later we get her full kind of storyline That led to that moment And things get cleared up a little bit But yeah it seems like Charlotte Hale is using um, her Some of her host army To deal with these outliers as they crop up, as they pop up, as she becomes aware of them in their system. um, It just seems like there are a lot more of them than I maybe had previously imagined. And a question for y'all. When when we get around to talking about how Hope was about to transcend, she was about to
1: do something to take the next step. What the hell was that? So... we, we don't know exactly what it is, but when, when Charloris takes the man in black, the host man in black to the tower, which by the way, the walk to the tower was so long. I'm not walking that. If you're like, hey, let's go to the tower. I'm like, Can you call us a cab? It looked like it was two miles on a bridge over the water. And it's funny because in
2: reality, it's, they combined Cabo San Lucas and Manhattan to create this world that we're dealing with. If you watch the post episode behind the scenes stuff, the tower and all that water and shit, that's all Cabo. Huh? And then there's Manhattan, which is the mainland island. And obviously we see those two things right next to each other. But in filming, they were, you know.
1: Cabo San Lucas combined with Manhattan. Sounds like Jimmy Buffett's playing at Madison Square Garden again. Am I right, folks? It also
2: (laughs) sounds like these people were obsessed with Cabo because they used... uh, Multiple set pieces from Cabo. I don't know. if They just remember. wanted to do it at Cabo. They yes. just wanted they, to they, go they to were, Cabo. They were going on vacation in Mexico. That's what they wanted to do. So they found places that worked in Cabo, and uh, it sounds like they spent quite a lot of time there between these
1: couple episodes we've been introduced to so far, where they had pieces from Cabo. Yeah. So the one, the cold open though, I guess, like you said, Serena. The question I was left with was, were we were we supposed to get this idea that Charloris is? She says she doesn't want to force hosts to like do to transcend themselves. She wants to make them come to that decision her- themselves, right? She wants to make the hosts come to this decision themselves to transcend, whatever that is. We can talk about that in a second. Um, but she is using the hosts forcibly to take out the outlier. So it's like she's playing this weird game of, oh, I want them to have free will, except I still want them to do my bidding, which is not free will. And then she's getting pissed at them when they freak out because they have free will now. And she's making them do something that's not free will related. And then, like, it seems like may, her making them go against their free will is what's causing the hosts to become outliers and they deal with a human outlier. That's how I see it. And so I think that's why at the end of the episode, the host, Man in Black, talks to the real Man in Black and is having this whole dilemma like, what the fuck am I? Like, I, I kind of have free will, I can do what I want, but like, also, Charlotte tells me what to do. What the fuck? My read on that was that. It's not nece- it's not that she's
2: sending the hosts to go do this thing that's jacking them up it's that when they interact with a human being who has I'll say transcended and become able to see the tower and is aware of the world that they're living in the sheer humanity within that person that they that they interact with is what then poisons them because they're, it's pure compassion. It's pure emotion. It's, it's what makes human beings beautiful. And what makes us special is that we have this capacity to feel things and analyze things on a much higher level than all the other animals that roam this planet. And in this case, I mean, we'll get to it later. Obviously, it's a very important scene where the man in black repeatedly says, I will shoot on sight. I will not interact. Yep. And then immediately fails to do so. And uh, I think it's more of the, the, the virus is humanity. The virus is a human being's capacity to feel and to uh, to be human. And that's that's the thing that's jacking up these hosts because they're built on, like, the man in black was a human being. He was a real man. He still is. He's in a little cryo chamber or whatever. But that, to me, was the read. It's like the the, the interaction with pure humanity— Outside of the bounds of Charlotte Hale's world she's created, when these ones break out, these outliers, they become able to influence the hosts in a way that is not good for Charlotte Hale, um, but certainly seems like it's probably healthier for the hosts long-term to be in touch with their reality.
1: I think uh, that's a great point. Um, But now, here's what I want you to think about. So, regularly, if these hosts interact with an outlier, like, I mean... Christina, a host, interacted with that outlier and, like, they just walk by them. They just think they're crazy people, right? But when the host was under Charloris's command to interact with the outlier, so the host's free will is taken away, interacts with the human outlier. That's when all the crazy shit happens with the hosts. But okay.
0: Christina didn't know. Anything about outliers, like all of these other hosts did. So they like she reads them as crazy people because she was unaware of the whole design. Yes. Whereas, and that's what I mean. That's why I had so many lingering questions. And when we get into Christina's story, I'll raise some of them with you guys. But I think that's why it was different for Christina. We don't really know what other hosts see when they see these outliers. That's
1: a great point. Because that's a great point. Because these outliers are like I'm gonna. These hosts who are sent to hunt outliers, know what they're doing. They know they're hunting an outlier. It's a game. They literally, I won the game. It's a game. Whereas Christina just thinks it's a crazy person on the street. Great point. Continuing on with the man in black. Wait, what was that?
0: Sorry. Can I say one thing about the cold open? I told you. You Um... can interrupt
1: whenever the frick you want, Serena. (laughs) Serena.
0: Um, I was left with a lot of questions from the cold open, but I wanted to point out that we did get one answered, which is that moment. in I think it was the premiere where those people walk by Christina and they say, I can't believe this is your first time here. We now finally know what that means.
1: I know. I thought it was red herring for a long time. Can you explain?
0: Um, because this is the human theme park that the hosts go to to play with humans, like fuck them, whatever it is that they're doing with them. Fuck them, them. suck
1: them, all that. So my question, okay, but
2: where else do they go? Because I was under the impression that this whole world is the theme park now, right? So what is it that they leave and there's like a fucking host bar they hang out at and then they come back to the theme park
1: or something? Uh, So that's a question I don't know the answer to yet. I was assuming it was just New York City that was the theme park, but Serena, do you have a thought on that?
0: I had the same take, which is that it's just the city, but we don't know what else is outside there. We know there's at least something. I think transcending is going to the sublime, to be honest, but it could be going somewhere else. I mean, we, we just don't know. We know that New York City is built on this image of the maze, and that's about it.
2: This is the one thing that I think they're still struggling with a little bit as a writing team is, and I've touched on it before, but it's easy to grasp, okay, this whole area we see – is under Charlotte Hale's control. This is clearly like a New York City, Manhattan type of situation, but then what becomes difficult is like, well, if it's just this area, wouldn't the rest of the country be like, hey, we should probably do something about that robot-run Manhattan area? <laughs> Things are going really haywire over there. What the fuck happens when somebody goes so, on vacation to New York City and they get
1: off the plane and they're like, what the fuck? They did address this. They said that, there obviously there's desert, which is where the rebellion lives, and they said that they're the only free humans left. So we're to believe that Everything else has been wiped out. Yeah. all There are no free humans left. All the humans that are alive are under the control of Charloris. Maybe or they're outliers. Other, or they're outliers. Could be in another park. I That part is kind of unclear to me. It doesn't they seem... They need
2: to shrink it down. Yeah. They need to be specific with it. I wish they would just tell us that because that's a very... I think that's a poignant explanation. It's just that they haven't really given us that. And yeah. it seems like when you... If you watch the... This is one negative to watching the uh, behind the scenes after the episode thing they kind of keep making it more confusing with things they say where I'm like, wait, okay, so goddamn, what about the rest of the world? What about the other countries? Is, there, is everything gone? Was there a nuclear apocalypse
1: and every fucking thing has been wiped? Is everything cake? They did surgery on a grape. That's true. <laughs> you guys hear about this? I did. I did. Uh, okay, so to talk more about transcending, which we brought up earlier, so you have, they walk to the tower and... We get that Charlotte's idea is She's pissed that the hosts Like the humans are indulging in this theme park She wants them to be something greater, right? Like, she's like, oh We could have been we, Actually, she has she had an exact quote Which I think was very poignant Her reason, French for, for Transcension Is pretty much the Switchfoot song Meant to Live She says We are capable of so much more Beauty, the pursuit of ultimate truth I kind of forced the ending there, but <laughs> But yeah, so she thinks that the, that the hosts are capable of so much more than just f- sucking and fucking in this human theme park. And she wants them to transcend. Now, Hope was a two-year-old host who they said was going to transcend the following week. My kind of crackpot theory is that they that Charloris brings hosts into the world and drops them into the human theme park and waits for them to come to the decision themselves to quote-unquote transcend, which I think means... It's similar move on to, from this. I think let's move on from this. I think it is similar to the sublime, but not the sublime, because obviously she's still looking for the sublime, and it's in the that data center. Uh, so she's she like made, sub, made. What's it like? This is like the 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 Pepsi to Sublime's Coke. She just, yeah, she just, they're just getting sent to like off-brand Sublime. Which yeah. off-brand Sublime. Some would say that's Pepper. that's a good fucking joke that's a a really fucking good joke i just thought of the top of my head it will be
2: interesting to see if we get more information i mean i'm assuming they need to clarify more on transcending exactly what that entails because i mean it does seem like it's a graduation of sorts
1: right to the next well we
0: know it's a surgery they because he she said i'm scheduled for my operation next week and
1: we see them do the surgery they like took the control unit out of the head and put it in that thing that looked kind of like a a droid, but it wasn't a droid. It look it looked like some shit you'd see in like a Tesla of like show place. Yeah, it seems like this is the the next stage of what we will find out
2: is what exactly is transcendence. What exactly is she doing with these hosts that 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 find the free will in them and decide they want to move forward and that this
1: fucking and sucking and murdering is not all there is. Yes. So what we learn from the whole interaction Charloris has with the man in black when she's all pissed at him is that the what look like to be crazy homeless guys that we've seen are actually outliers who the tone has stopped working on and that hosts are sent to eliminate them, but elimination of the outliers by the hosts infects the hosts sometimes. And it's happened 38 times where a host was sent to kill an outlier and then the host killed themselves. Now, Charloris is like... Humans are only human, so it's, it's normal that, that we would have outliers, like whatever, but we should never be having hosts that are killing themselves, that's against their code. So many parallels here to season one. Yeah, and that's also where
2: my theory about the humanity sort of being the virus comes in, because it's like if you were exposed to pure humanity, like pure unfiltered emotion as a host, you would see that you will never have that. That you have, you'll never get this. You'll, you'll never, never get, get this. this. Yeah, it's it's a it's a Borat situation, and then the, the <laughs> only move that from there is if your if your existence is is futile, is meaningless. Why go on? That's that was my only real read on the whole hosts blowing their heads off after interacting with outliers thing, um, which gets all the more interesting later in the episode. Again, when we get to that man in black scene, I'm going to pick it apart.
1: Serena, any thoughts there?
0: No, I had literally in my notes, it says the virus is humanity. So I think Ross and I are uh, two peas in a pod on that one.
1: Very nice. Also, I'll note
2: about the uh, cold open. There was a lot of trailer lines here. Yeah. So we we had heard a lot of this before. And usually when we get to those parts of a show, not just Westworld, where I'm like, oh, here we go, the fucking trailer spiel. I'm a little annoyed because I've already heard it. Not so in this case. It was we got a fuller version of it first of all, but also it really went along with everything else that happened in this episode, and I thought it was very cool.
1: This was the oh. most trailer heavy of all the episodes. It included, like you said, all those main and black lines. It included. It included the when when Charlores asks for a song with more pep. Yeah. That is the song from the teaser trailer, and then we have Dolores saying, "This is a story of a girl." She did that shit. Talking about Dolores. So Perfect Day of, is a song, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot I of trailer thought it was stuff there. It's
0: interesting that they did Perfect Day. Like we knew it was gonna be Perfect Day from the trailer, but I thought it made so much more sense in context because Perfect Day is a song about heroin. And the whole thing is about how the hosts have become addicted to like playing with the humans. There's just there's always so much nuance with their song choice, and it was exciting to see this one come to fruition.
2: You gotta give them a lot of credit for the the level of detail. In this show, and all
1: the layers, it's always one of the more impressive elements So, Man in Black says, I'm gonna shoot her The outlier's name ends up being Lindsay I'm gonna shoot her on sight Well, when he sees her, he does not shoot her He talks to her uh, Then is like, oh fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm under the spell I'm Go- doing the thing I'm doing the thing Gets ready to shoot her, and then Jay comes in Kills her, or, I mean, doesn't kill him, because he can't die Shoots, Shoots him. him, stuns him, doesn't throw his gun off the building for some unknown reason Don't know why, didn't do that He's only going to be out for a few seconds. Let's roll. Yeah. So, and then we see that from there, he goes to the real man in black because he he wants to know if he's been infected. He wants to know what he is. He's questioning the nature of his reality as the man in black (laughs) points out, Uh, which by the way, I know Ross is about to tear this apart. Um, The door is now open because of the way that the man in Black's scene just ended in this episode. Uh, For the Man in Black that we see in the future To be the real Man in Black Doors open, I'm just saying A lot
2: of possibilities Moving forward with the Man in Black And I thought the scene where uh, Human Man in Black interacts with Host Man in Black Which are labeled appropriately in the subtitles hilariously It says Human Man in Black um, Was among the best I've ever seen on this show Because it added Just such a level of of confusion (laughs) Between these two characters Where He's like, have I been infected? Is this fucking virus in me? And, and human man in black is like, what? <laughs> like what, what virus? And as the host man in black explains it to him, you can see how much enjoyment human man in black is getting out of this because it's almost like he kind of knows whatever it is that we don't yet understand about the virus. It seems like he really has some idea of what's maybe going on there, Um. My first thought as all that was unfolding and really from the moment the man in black walked up onto that roof, makes eye contact with Lindsay and does not immediately start mowing her down. I was like, oh my God, he's going to break good. He's going to break good. He's going to be the hero this season. I think he is going to be a good guy in the end because whatever the virus is, um, obviously it didn't impact him in a way that would cause him to commit suicide yet. I don't know if that's because there is a human version of him that exists that he's able to interact with like a therapist or what. But that moment for me where, I mean, that combined with with a man in black beginning of the episode when he sits down with those two hosts. I'm sorry, those two humans that are fucking brainwashed um, part of the game to just enjoy conversation with them. He says uh, some things about privilege that were really, really interesting, that, like, it was the first time I found myself liking him as a character since season one. First time since season one that I was like, damn, Man in Black is mad interesting, because he has what, what I would call the healthiest possible view of privilege, which is that if you can acknowledge that it exists, then you, can, then you can handle yourself appropriately. If you're unable to do that, you're in a really fucked up version of the world that isn't reality, and that all ties into real, the real world, too. That's the way I see it in the real world. And for him to hit those lines and then not be able to pull the trigger on sight, interact with Lindsay, walk away freaked out, go and visit his human version of himself, having a total meltdown about whether or not he's been infected, that took me immediately to, man, this dude's going to break out of this. He's going to be, at some point— Post Man in Black, you're saying? I am—both— it is likely host man in black who frees human man in black, in my opinion. I could see that. And, and I'm not saying we definitely get human man in black out of his cryo chamber, but it would be really fucking crazy to have that dude stuck in there and not have him get out at some point. Yeah. So I could see that being the way it goes down the line, that the host man in black has been infected with the virus of humanity now. He also has a human version of himself to interact with. Somehow those things come together and we end up with both of them being out and against Charlotte Hale.
0: I also think, and I'm a, I'm so with you on all of this, I think a part of the reason that it's Charlotte and or Charloris and Man in Black, too, is because they are directly based off of a specific human's consciousness. Yes. Whereas a lot of the rest of these hosts are just fully manufactured, right? And one thing we saw with Charloris in the past, in season three, that came back in this season, is this fighting of... um your nature and your programming so we see that charlotte's picking at her skin again which is what she did last season when her internal dolores versus charlotte hale was at war with itself and i think we're starting to see a little bit of that now and and uh, sorry this is a bit of a tangent but one thing that um we noticed last season is that these little bits of of the human consciousness you're based on remain when you turn it into a host and with William, the man in black, he saw all of those fidelity tests with Delos. He saw James Delos go crazy. He saw it not work. He saw the entire design of the park from start to finish. So he's in a little bit more of like, he's just in a different position. A much more educated position. That, say that again? A
2: much more educated position than than anybody else we're aware of, for sure.
0: Yeah, So I think that's why those two and I I really do believe that showing us her picking at her skin was a reminder of the whole there is this dissonance between your nature and your programming fighting against each other. And we kind of get it with the man in black's voiceover at the beginning when he says that whole, um, am I just a sum total of my code or whatever? So,
2: yeah, now that you've taken us there, it's like you could I, I would say transcendence is going to host heaven. Similarly to, like, that sublime idea like you said earlier, Jared, but it seems like there's a piece to this that's, like, the, that the human form the hosts have taken is actually extremely restrictive. And that, in, in Charlotte Hale's case, she almost wants to tear herself out of that, right? She's, I mean, I've been staring at her arm for five episodes now going, what the fuck's wrong with her arm? Because, like most of our audience, I have no fucking clue what happened in season three, unlike you, Serena. <laughs> And remember the fiery I, <laughs> car crash with the rocket? None of it. They they bring up the arm scratching thing in the post episode uh, behind the scenes, and I was like, nope, don't remember that at all. But glad we're getting a look into it now, and that's why her arm is all scarred up because she's been picking at this thing for god knows how long. And to see her, obviously, there's a multiple layered, you know, sort of uh, uh, imagery to it where she's she's clearly dealing with some level of anxiety and worry over what's happening to this world she's created. She's also extremely bored and unhappy with the world she's created. And then on top of that, I think she probably doesn't want to be in that body at all. She herself probably desires some degree of transcendence, whatever that may entail. So just it's, I mean, we went the first four episodes seeing Charlotte Hale seemingly completely in control, right? Has this whole shit locked down. And then now, in just one episode, the the wheels are coming off. And that, to me, is what makes me agree with Jared that this is one of the best episodes of the show ever. I did not anticipate episode five being as important as it was. I did not think they would go focus on the full Christina story and give us as much as they did, which we'll get into in a second. But that made it really, really high stakes and intense the entire time through, from start to finish, there wasn't a single moment, as Jared and I talked about off mic before we started recording, that
1: I was like uninterested, that I was lost. Yeah, and and all of this, and this is a great episode, all of this happened without Bernard, without Caleb, without Maeve. Which is all the more impressive, and really might say something about those storylines. <laughs> This episode of All Motor Functions is brought to you by the amazing folks at Felix Grey Glasses. The good folks at Felix Grey create effective, research-backed products to improve humans' relationships with technology, making them a perfect sponsor for a Westworld podcast. It all started five years ago. When Felix Gray set out to create eyewear that would make it easier and more comfortable for humans to stare at screens, why? Because whether you like it or not, we all live in a digital world now. And living in a digital world means we are forced to look at screens, screens, and more screens all day every day. I got 15 screens looking at me right now in the studio. It's crazy. And the thing about all these screens is that they are wreaking havoc on our eyeballs and brains and causing things like eye strain, headaches, and blurry vision. The blue light emitted from these screens is the culprit. And Felix Gray's clear blue light lenses filter 15 times more blue light than other clear lenses. Nine out of ten customers experience relief from eye strain, headaches, and or blurry vision. Ross loves them. I do. I wear them every day. Uh, You could say that blue light is the virus that our screens emit, and you want to protect your eyes
2: from that, folks. You don't want to deal with that. I've, I've been wearing contacts and glasses for like 25 years by the end of the day, my eyes get worn out, man. And like y'all, I like watching TV to unwind after I'm done with my day. I like watching some Westworld, and that involves another larger screen. So I need my Felix Grace to keep my eyes safe. All that blurry vision, dry eye, headache shit that I
1: normally deal with. Very relieved by these marvelous glasses. And Felix Gray glasses don't just do a great job protecting your eyes and brain from the evil of screens. They're also incredibly high quality and built to last. Felix Grey makes clear blue light glasses as well as sunglasses and amber blue light glasses, all of which are phenomenal. Felix Grey has both non-prescription glasses and prescription glasses available, so they truly are for anyone and everyone. Ross upgraded his prescription glasses to Felix Gray's, and he loves them. Got four different pairs, the Nash, the Faraday. Lots of good ones to look at there on felixgrayglassescom slash FAMF. I like the Kepler. I'm mm. a Kepler guy. Kepler guy. Check out Felix Gray's full selection at felixgrayglassescom slash FAMF, where you'll get free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. It's risk-free, folks. You got Love nothing it. to lose. These are the West frames that I'm holding right now, if you're watching on YouTube, by the way. they call Jerry West, the logo man. Also beautiful. Love them. F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y-Glasses.com slash FAMF. Okay, it's Christina time. We we see Christina, classic Christina, wakes up this time very happily in bed from the with the overhead shot after her date with Teddy, and uh, all of these shots of Christina make a lot more sense now that we're certain she's like in a loop in this theme park. Yeah, you were right about this. You read this correctly. Thank I didn't. You. I didn't feel what you felt, but you were right. Here's a big question I have for you guys. Christina lives in Charloris's human theme park, but is clearly not aware that she lives in a human theme park until the end of the episode, right? Though she is, obviously, throughout the whole episode, on the path to becoming an outlier. She also looks exactly like Dolores, so it's out of the question to think that she's just some random human. It's obvious that Charloris put this host into the the theme park, but it's a host living amongst the humans, thinking she is a human, and making the story for all the actual humans. Is Christina the only human... Sorry, the only host living amongst the humans that thinks she's a human in this park or are there more like her? That's a very good question. Serena, did you get any read on that?
0: I have the exact like almost word for word question written in my notes because I was unclear on whether or not her boss was a host or a human because she can control him, which lets us think that he's a human. But then he knows about the walled garden, which makes me think he's a host. So yeah, what the hell? If Christina is really a fucking god, then can she just control everyone? And then it also made me wonder, this is probably going to piss you off that I've even brought this up, but if Ashley Stubbs knows what's going on, can he control the humans? Because he's a fucking host. Like, in that whole scene where uh, they're all attacking him, could he have just tapped in and been like, don't attack me?
1: No, I, I take it back to, like... I think it's her job at Olympiad that makes her control people. I think
2: that on top of her, what you touched on earlier, the fact that she is Dolores Abernathy inside of Christina, buried down in there somewhere, when she looks herself up and it sets off a fucking alarm. And then her, by the way, that part was a little, it's one of the only plot devices in this episode where I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, Charlotte Hale sucks at running this world. If this is how bad it is, then she deserves to lose it. Because you're telling me, this is worst case scenario. The worst thing that could happen, probably, with at least, I mean, one of the most... not Fuck that. The most powerful host we're aware of that's not Charlotte Hale is Christina. She can control all these people. She is the story writer of every single living humans narrative in this park. She wrote all of them. So if she goes and looks up Dolores Abernathy and it trips an alarm, how in the hell... Is it only this random fuckhead who shows up to deal with that? And he like immediately is able to be controlled by her. But it brings me back to Bernard digging up Maeve. Maeve isn't a weapon unless her being able to control everyone is special. So I think it's just Christina and Maeve outside of Charlotte Hale who have this ability to uh, to, to tell the humans and hosts what they can't, to freeze all motor functions. The man right? in black
1: did it though. The man at, when yeah. he was chasing all the rebels. He made the tone go off and all they, they all turned around and looked at them, remember?
0: And he did it in the opening scene when he's like, I'm really enjoying my conversation with you. Hold that thought. I'll BRB. And then they're just like...
1: So, Ross, I agree with you. With with humans, though. Yeah.
2: So, but those are with the... So, in my mind, he's able to mesh network, communicate with Charlotte, hey, oh, hey, hit the fucking sound machine one time or whatever. I mean, I'm, that's not as hard of a sell to me. It's the fact that they can control the hosts and the humans, which is what I think Charlotte... Uh, Christina I don't
1: know and anything. I don't think Maeve anybody I don't do. think anybody can control the hosts and the humans. Except Maeve. Except Maeve, because she's the only one who can control the hosts. But okay, so then was Christina's boss a host or a human?
0: Well that's what we don't understand that yet. 'Cause cause it, it would they would so they, they lead us to believe that he's a human because of this one scene where Teddy calls and Teddy says, Tell him something personal came up. And to me, there's no way Teddy would have known Exactly what to say to control him. If it were not a human, because the hosts are are the ones running oh, the ship. Right you
1: guys now. are gonna freaking love my crackpot theory, by the way. It has to do with oh man, I'm I'm gonna holster it. Okay, but it has what you just said would play into it. I think I, I'm. I still have a lot of confusion around that guy, around
2: her boss, just because I don't know if it would make sense for Charlotte Hale to leave just a regular ass human in charge of this yeah. whole operation, and then. The fact that he says what he says to her about the uh, wall. The walled garden. His his knowledge of the walled garden was weird and confusing. And I think if you sort of chalk it up to him revealing information almost accidentally because he's dealing with an outlier now, that
1: could maybe be it. But yeah, there's still a lot to be clarified To me, ooh, that's actually an interesting point. I was about to say to me he has to be a human because that's the only way that Christina could control him because she can only control humans. But to your point, now that Christina is an outlier, if she was actually a human somehow, then she would be able to make the human uh, make uh, the host freak make out. Make the host freak out because the yeah, that's well, really, see, that that's I think that's she's a little bit like, of a bit of leap, and it confuses the shit out of me. But, but she can uh, be like yeah. a
2: hybrid outlier. Like I think just because she's not a human yeah. doesn't mean
1: she can't be an outlier. My main. Focus with Christina is that it literally had I had this out of my head, and then as I started saying that, it went away. Hold on. I know what it is. Oh, it happens. Oh, man. Oh, well, okay. 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 Christina, I forgot it. Her roommate is a human. <laughs> Her roommate is a human, right?
0: Yes, for yes. sure. Yes. Yeah. So...
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly. There, there's still some. Oh, oh, I. I, I know what it yeah, was. go ahead. So Ross was talking about how how the fuck is the boss the only one to come in when she is clearly setting off these alarm bells that even Charloris, when she gets lunch with her is like this girl's acting kind of weird. Like I don't understand how if in fact Charloris created Christina for whatever nefarious purpose she has. I still think crackpot theory that. Charlors created Christina to try to make her turn into Dolores, so she could go into her brain. and And the the codes that she's looking for is still in Dolores's brain. I think the code, the sublime data, the, the whatever, exists in two places: in that Hoover Dam thing, which they can never find because they they don't know the code or whatever, and in Dolores's brain. And I think Charlors thinks she can turn Christina into Dolores and then extract the data from her. What is the point of? her of of Charlotte Hale's quest for the sublime data I think it's for the Transcension. I think it's but it sounds like she's already got people doing that maybe she wants maybe she wants to kill all the hosts that are in that sublime or transfer them over to her version of the sublime there's still uh, that's another place there's confusion still yes. it's like why
2: yes. does she give a shit about the sublime why can't she just leave all those fuckers there what's the difference but then my brain jumps to, well, the people in the Sublime are actively in cahoots with Bernard, who is public enemy number one to her, I'm, I'm assuming, at this point. I don't even know if she's aware of Bernard, though. Charlotte Hale. That's that's another piece. But she
1: does say, like, the rebels are already in the city. I don't think she knows. I think she knows that there are rebels, but I don't think she knows that Stubbs and Bernard are there. I mean, maybe she does now. Last thing, and then Serena, I'm going to unleash you
2: again. Why the fuck does her boss ask or tell her directly the boss is already getting suspicious of you, right? Like he says, yeah. like, she's already suspicious of you. And, and Christina says, are you talking about Charlotte
1: Hale? Yeah, that part's really confusing.
2: How would he I mean? have that information if he's just a regular-ass human or whatever? Or is there like, I, I, I just he don't could know. Be a, he could be like a handler, right? Yeah, that specific purpose is to deal with this whole situation. I, I just don't know why he would give her info.
1: Yeah, that's that, Serena, any thoughts there. Confuses the crap nope. out of me.
0: I have, I just have more questions and I was hoping you guys had answers to them. And my question is why, like at the end of the episode, Teddy says to Christina, you're the one who put yourself in this position to write all of these stories. And like, you did it. You did this. Why? First of all, why is, why is Charlotte letting her? And second of all, like what? If the if the answer is because I'm 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 pretty in on your crackpot theory that there's something in her head that she wants to get access to, but why not just keep her in like a little like prison? Why let her roam the world and be a story writer? Like it seems like a lot of risks to take with someone who could really fuck up your whole plan. And my read and-
2: my read was to to answer that one first was that it's like again we're dealing with Charlotte Hale, A.K.A. Charloris, right? And then we've got Christina who is a version of Dolores or something, right? They're from the same beginning. Like the they're pieces of the same person almost. Like maybe they can't exist one without the other. Maybe she wanted this other piece of her to have some degree of comfort or a job or a purpose in this world she created or something. I'm less on board with like if she can somehow manipulate her into doing X amount of things, she'll unlock information inside of her mind and back to more back to where I was with, like, after episode one or two, where I was saying it seems like maybe Charlotte Hale needed a way to occupy, control, keep busy this other piece of her that is inside of Christina. And, and there's a connection there somewhere. But that's the only thing I can really imagine.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely find out more of that, about that soon. What was your other questions?
0: Well, I also just wanted to... Did anyone, did anyone have issues with how badly she held it together in her little lunch with Charlotte. You're like, Teddy was like, hey, like, be careful. Don't let on. Like, don't, you know, anyone could be anyone. And then she goes to lunch and she's asking the most suspicious that anyone has ever acted in yeah. their entire life. She's like, I don't want to tell you just to name it might jinx it. If my friend said that to me, I'd be like, what the fuck drugs are you on? Like, what's going on?
1: Yeah, who's the serial killer you're dating yeah. that you don't want to tell me about? So when... Christina meets up with Teddy. He tests her to see if she can see the tower and she can't. And I'm talking about this is right after he you know Teddy's like give your boss an excuse. He knew right. she was talking to the boss. She goes and meets up with Teddy. So they don't know each other that well yet. None yeah. of the other information has been shared. And by the way, is there's nothing there the new it doesn't look like anything to me. Kind of seems like it. Might be. So then by the way, uh Christina thinks that Teddy is a stalker like Peter, and she's a great, another stalker, blah. Uh, And then she turns around to leave, and Teddy gets her attention by being like, hey, there's some fucked up shit going on, girl. Teddy makes Christina realize that in this world, she's a god and can change people's outcomes, can change the whole story, and uh, that's that's pretty wild. Now, here's time for the Crackpot Theory, okay? J-Bone's Crackpot Theory. Teddy is actually Bernard... Because when Christina asks, what if I make a mistake, Teddy assuredly says, you won't. And I think that's because he is Bernard and knows the future due to his time in the Sublime simulation. And I think that's also why when Christina was talking to her boss, he's like, say that it's a personal thing. And then that excuse works because he knew that that would I don't know. We also know. I didn't think the excuse worked, though. He ends up asking her about it later. He's like, what was that fucking personal thing? He was, like, super suspicious and shit. Still worked, though. Still got her to meet up with Teddy. We know that, like Teddy and Dolores, Bernard also has a very close relationship with Dolores. So I think this crackpot theory is confirmed already.
2: That's an interesting theory, for sure. I thought it was funny watching her play uh, God with um, two people who are just trying to just read books. Yeah, one of them was like you're a, when they If you're trying to be a serious reader and that was a fucking normie take <laughs> yeah. or whatever she says like you're a fucking simpleton. And then they're fighting. It yes. was like no no that would never happen between two people just casually reading books on a bench, which made it obviously believable for her that she was having some degree of control there, but it was it was that was where this whole confusion over okay, well how much can she control comes in, right? Like is it every single person or is it people and host did we okay did we see her do anything with a host in this episode christina
1: no she cannot control hosts okay so unless her boss is a host yeah now uh, which (laughs) we cannot talk about that anymore can she just yell stop and people stop yeah i think so doesn't even have to say freeze all motor functions
0: well they're not hosts motor functions are things that hosts i mean humans do have motor functions but that was the host stop code
2: yeah we gotta change the name of the show to Stop. Stop. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, hey, hey guys, stop.
1: That's Welcome good. back to Stop.
0: <laughs> Westworld yeah. podcast.
1: Um, so yeah, I, I remember this. Teddy was in the sublime. The only way I could see him getting out of it was Bernard, who was in the Sublime, somehow taking him out of it. I don't see how else anybody could have gotten that Teddy Flood data. I think Teddy is Bernard. So do you think Bernard is Bernard still? Yeah. So there's two Bernards. Yeah. One's Just, just like said. there's two Doloreses. Mm-hmm. One of them is Charlotte Hale. The other one's Christina. Welcome to Westworld. What a normal show this is. It turns out Christina's old friend, as we talked about, is none other than Charloris. She does not hold it together. I think Charlores is just keeping tabs on Christina, who she put in charge of literally writing all of the humans' stories, which... I, it, it's a piece of her. I think yeah. she knew she had the capacity to do it, right? Like, okay, well, my fucking
2: little consciousness over here stuck in this Christina chick has the ability to write stories. I'll just have her do that job.
1: You would just think she would have a closer eye on her. Like, she's getting away with a lot of shit right now. Meeting up with Teddy clandestinely, going into going in work and looking up Dolores Abernathy. Like, what a red flag that fucking is. Which is the only place where I think your theory tracks that
2: she might be happy about what Christina's doing. I think Charlotte Hale definitely noticed something is off, right? I, which takes me back to I'm not sure if Teddy Flood is Bernard because he says, you won't make a mistake, and then she seemingly makes several. No, not enough, though. Complete not, not and total inability to hold a conversation. <laughs> just make up a name. What the fuck is wrong with you? Say his name is Steve. What do you care?
0: Talk about that first terrible date you went on. I really thought she was about to come in clutch and talk about the guy who told her like that there was a tab to fix all that. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, she went on a bad date. She could totally cover with this. And then she just floundered like a fish out of water.
2: She choked. She choked hard. So, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. That's the one thing, though, that makes me think maybe Jared is right That Charlotte Hale wants Christina to be on this path Because somehow the end of this path Actually
1: benefits Charlotte Hale So we have the whole scene with Christina and her boss And then she finds out that she's been writing All of the human stories And again, she wanders into that room Which seems like an important room Which seems like Charlotte Hale would
2: probably keep an eye on She goes in there and finds out all this information Are we supposed to believe that she did
1: all of that Without Charlotte Hale having any knowledge that she was doing so, and like we said, there's a possibility that Charlotte Loris is again being really calculated, letting her find all this out, so she becomes sentient, remembers all the stuff that Dolores had. Possibly, bit of a crackpot theory, but finally, Christina can see the tower. Yeah, what enabled her to see it? Just, just the amount of experience, I think. Just Enlightenment. like, just like, like the the veil is pulled off of the worlds. You know, you know who fucking hates
2: this show? Fox News. Because everybody's getting woke, Jared. That is true. This was the ultimate analogy to being woke, though, right? The tower, being yes. able to see it, is the ultimate analogy to being woke, which almost ties back to the privilege thing in the first fucking scene of the episode. It was magical to kind of see that uh, unfold. But but She's woke as fuck. Yeah, she's super woke by the end of it, and uh, and they don't like that on Fox. They don't.
1: Finally... Let's quickly discuss the Stubbs storyline. Very short, but I thought added a nice bit of action. And I love the way it tied together. When, when uh, Charlorus was like, the Rebels are already here, and we saw the boat, I was like, oh, that's the man in black going on a boat to get the outlier. And it's like, oh, shit, it's Stubbs and the Rebels. The boat was sick. But that was a sick boat. It's like boat. a yacht with the top chopped off. Yeah, it was sick. So we catch up with Stubbs. He boats his way into the city with Jay, his captor slash teammate, whatever. They use him as the canary <laughs> in the coal mine. Tweet, tweet. And, uh, yeah, the rebels make their way into the city. Man in black encounters them, freezes all the humans, makes them look at them, makes them start kind of attacking them. Not very good at attacking, like the hosts were, I guess because they're humans. Yeah. Right? And unarmed. Seemingly everyone's just throwing weird punches and kicks and shit. It's way better when there's robots that you can stick on people, not just fucking Gary. (laughs) Yeah, this doesn't doesn't do much to stop those people, I don't think. So, we learn that the rebels are the last free humans, as discussed earlier, and they're doing missions to extract outliers who they can save and add to their ranks of the resistance where they live out in the desert, in a van down by the river. And, and I mean, presumably are making some sort of effort to free everyone yes. in some capacity, Which right? Which is why they're willing to, like, seemingly die or have members of their... It seems weird to be like, we'll let three of our... Members die to save one potential outlier. Like that seems kind of dumb. It's like saving Private Ryan. Honestly, yeah. Same plot. Saving Private Lindsay. <laughs> that was this that was this one. That's Say, right. It's the sequel. <laughs> so yeah, the man in black turns all the hosts around the rebels against them. Jay eventually makes it to the outlier, saves her just in time, right before the man in black shoots her, shoots the man in black. Are we gonna meet? I mean, they gave her a name, so presumably we're gonna like meet her. She'll probably meet Bernard. I bet you Bernard's gonna like interview her or something like that. Well, the other interesting they touch on that her husband was
2: an outlier, right? Mm-hmm. But he ended up killing himself. What if her husband was Peter? I am quite certain he is. That was my read, and that the humans are able to infect each other in the same way that um, the humans are able to infect the hosts, just like the hosts could infect each other. Exactly, just like season one reversed.
0: Well, she also said she I think what she said and we could run the tapes back. I think she said my husband used to say that before he was killed, which is something you would actually only know if you were, in fact, privy to what's going on with this whole town. Like he killed himself, but he believed that he was being controlled. So the fact that she uses the language like my husband used to say that before he was killed told me a lot.
1: I think it was before he killed himself. No, I I think he said before he was killed, I think. Oh. Okay, Serena, you you were memorized the entire script, right? What what did what did she say? You I, you you'd normally I, I, do that?
0: I could say with ninety nine, like it, I'm not a betting woman, um, but I would bet on her on her saying how much, before he was killed.
1: How much you betting right now? I'm spending the rest uh, of this podcast pulling it up. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Like fifty bucks. Fifty. Never...
1: You're oh, she's not, I'm not a betting woman. Immediately goes to fifty dollar units. Jesus. Heavy hitter. Jesus. Oh my God, Serena, you might have a problem. Jeez. But okay, Ross, Ross is taking up on that. Okay. Well, folks, while well, Ross looks that up. <laughs> that does it. For Freeze All Motor Functions season four, episode five recap. You can and should follow us on Instagram at Freeze All Motor Functions and Twitter and TikTok at Freeze All Motor for Westworld and FAMF updates all season long. If you prefer to watch your podcasts, every episode of Freeze on Motor Functions is available on YouTube. Serena, where can the people follow you?
0: I am at Serena underscore Therese on all forms of social media.
2: Ross? Uh, Oh, damn it. My ex-husband used to talk about it before he was killed. I've got it up right now exact moment That took me like 60 seconds There I you go a fucking award for that <sighs> There you go um, Serena you, correct, you just Serena. got $50
1: You're gonna have to collect it from Ross a the I Higher Brigh- to higher collection agency I didn't agree to those terms Um
2: Wait, what? We're signing We're off. Where can people follow you? Yeah. Oh, at WR Bolin on Twitter and
1: Instagram, and listen to the Ross Boland podcast wherever you listen to Freeze All Motor Functions. You can follow me at Jared Borislow on all social media. And if you like Formula One, you are required to check out my Formula One content brand, Formula Bone, where I make previews and recaps for every single race and try to make F1 accessible to as many people as possible. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here today. Time for the NPR Style sign off. Freeze All Motor Functions has been brought to you by Boland Media and is hosted by me, Jared Borislow, along with Ross Bolin and Serena. The show is produced by me, Jared Borislow. Special thanks to Phil from DC, aka Schnapple, on SoundCloud for our intro music, and Brad Hess for our outro music. Until next time, folks. Bam.